looking at you, kids. You had me at terror. I wish I knew how to quit you. Mm, and they're speaking so weak. There's no place like home. I'm gonna make them an offer down with you. a very special guest here today on Gone with the Wind, but I won't tell you right now. you got to listen to our little theme song first. Cue the music. Hey everybody, welcome to Gone with the Wind, the show about award shows where we talk about you guessed it, award shows. I'm your host Manning Franks, um, and we have, as I mentioned prior before our little theme song came in, uh, we have a special guest, and we'll get to him in a second, but First off, we have a returning panelist, good friend of the show, and just kind of a member of the panel at this point now, uh, Dan, the man, Skip, Alan, who, might I add, got this special guest here today. Is that correct, Dan? Well, you know, sometimes you just add people and you just message people and you just start having conversations with people and you kind of have kind of a kismet, if you will, and then all of a sudden, hey, how would you like to be on our podcast? Sure. and then magically they're on the pod so uh you know he's it's, it's just trying to be friendly which is always a good thing in life and you never know it could get good things could happen uh completely concur um but without further ado this is this individual has over seven thousand articles as we mentioned prior before we started recording on gold derby and it's in fact been oh lord how long has he been working for gold derby i'm not sure i read that in the biography but he's been working there for quite some time with his seven thousand articles uh and his quote some less substantive than others but regardless we are honored to have him we have daniel montgomery daniel welcome sir uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and it has actually been 10 years uh, at this point, uh, including before uh, we were acquired by Penske uh, Media Corporation. So. It, seriously, that long? So you you have been so you have been there before and, and that 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 entire um, uh, uh, um, what's that term called when they acquire acquiring of Gold Derby transpired? Yeah, yeah. I, I I was uh, I was part of the the package that they that they bought uh, when they picked us up. <laughs> it's a it's a package deal. Buy one get one Daniel free. Uh, but no, well hey, not for free, they, thankfully. Oh, okay. Yo, you're right. You're right. No, no, that, that they, we don't want that. We do not want that. We need to get paid for our work. Everyone, we're all for that here in Gotham. <laughs> um, I they mean, got this Tom is okay, for free. But... I think they got Tom for free. No. <laughs> Oh, anyway, we are honored to have you on here, Daniel, um, and we're going to kind of be talking about some of the uh, – on this episode in particular, we're going to dissect the AFI, which is a really interesting like little nugget of like uh, of uh, American film uh, for this year. But obviously, there's always that special award that seems to go to the uh, front runner or one of the front runners that's a foreign film in this case, Belfast. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll also go through the PGI – or PGI – PGA nominations for documentary. And finally, kind of wrapping it in a bow for the really strange and kind of all over the place uh, best supporting actor and best supporting actress awards uh, for now once we get into wow tomorrow's critics choice and golden globes but I, mean, I think the golden globes are still a thing now i'm, I'm not sure truthfully but they're, i know they are but that's going what forward but they're yeah. yeah whether or not they're still a thing is kind of up in the air right now <laughs> No, remember they had that controversial year. What was it, two thousand six or something like that? There was a, or it was one year where they. What, what happened? They put a press re release out, and they still did it. No matter. The I think yeah, I think that was the. I think that was the writer's strike. Is oh, they yes. didn't hold the show, but they still held the awards. Uh, I I would say yes. that was less problematic for them, given that it wasn't like that their awards themselves were. <laughs> um, you know, the legitimacy was in question then. Uh, you know, now yes. now it's a little bit dicier for them. Yeah. Oh, yes. So I mean, I'm excited. Well, I, I'm excited is the wrong word. Let me rephrase that. I'm curious uh, and inquisitive to see exactly what they will be doing tomorrow since that's coming around the same time. Is What is the time of gold, Golden Globes in comparison to the Critics' Choice? Because the nominations are the same day tomorrow on Monday, am I not mistaken, correct? Um, I'm not sure what times they're, they're scheduled huh. to, to release. Uh. Interesting. Dan, do you know? Because I, I would imagine somebody's going to be early in the morning and someone's going to be in the afternoon. So they're not crossing over with each other. Um, well, because they, they, they want the um, usually L.A. 
they'll do it like at five in the morning when they do these awards and then that that'll break and they'll just get across the country through the news uh, outlets and everybody, everybody will start picking it up and stuff. So I would imagine some, one of the two are going to be really early in the morning, like six, seven in the morning. So then it could just probably go across the country, you know, and get well, word of mouth and whatnot. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a second because I, again, we're not going to be doing predictions of what the critics and the uh, um, golden globes will be because by the time this comes out the nominations will have already occurred this is more a dissection of the race in these particular categories but before we get into that i want to we do something where we kind of see what we've watched and before we get into the what we watched section i just want to ask daniel a couple questions so y'all can get to know him a little more uh i recently just watched his um uh, writer's roundtable which that was a fantastic discussion uh, i'm really jealous that you got to talk to rebecca hall for passing which is my second favorite film of the year so i'm a little jealous about that but you know what hey that's why they pay you the big bucks daniel so uh tell me what for you personally in the 10 years that you've been working here on gold derby um what have you you know what is, how what has that time been like for you working for this conglomerate that most people that in our you know passion for film have been using for like the longest time for like prognostication and just general fun what has it been like for you um it's been interesting certainly uh it it has given me uh, and one of the things i like about awards in general uh you know for all the you know you know the good and the bad that we take with them is that you know i get to talk to uh you know cinematographers uh, uh production designers uh you know I, I talked to a sound editor uh, uh this past week um and it's it sort of knowing that there are these categories at these awards uh it it's sort of it's sort of like your entryway into the different crafts that go into film. You know, if, if you know, if we didn't predict, uh, you know, best cinematography, I wouldn't have as good an idea of what cinematography is in film and, and so on down the line. So it really is, is sort of like an introduction to the craft. Uh, and that's what I've always appreciated most about it. Ooh, that, that's, I, I love that because, Without, you know, Gold Derby being because you I can't really recall unless you count some independent sites like, you know, uh, we're not independent sites. They're they're conglomerates in of themselves like Variety, Hollywood Reporter, those who actually are in the prognostication business, the critics as well, too, or awards prognosticators. You guys are the hub usually for most people and one thing you'd mentioned in when you were uh, in your response was that you've learned something and you wouldn't know without uh, without uh, actually, you know being involved so for you especially this award season what is one thing you've taken away um with all the different um, um interviews uh, you have done in the roundtables as well i will say that i uh i've taken away from certain individual films uh you know getting to see it from all different sides uh you know you know at, at gold derby when you know someone uh interviews someone from a project they often interview many other people from the same project. So, you know, I met, uh, you mentioned uh, passing. Uh, I, I talked to Ruth Nega. Uh, I will be talking to uh, Tessa Thompson. Uh, you know, knock on wood, that's scheduled, but, uh, you know, that <laughs> it happens. Because, um, you know, things like you never know what changes. Um, and so you get to see like one, you get to dive deep into one particular film that way. It, it really deepens your appreciation for that. And last question that I have, just for people have that awareness, what is your particular uh, on the Gold Derby staff? What is your lane that you, you know, hone in on? Sort of like a jack of all trades thing. A lot of us uh, do, uh, you know. So I cover the Oscars, I cover the Emmys. Uh, I will say one thing that I do uh, that I, I'm sort of the primary driver of at Gold Derby is our music coverage. So. Uh, you know, Grammys are, are kind of a lot of my domain. And of course, we also do reality TV at Gold Derby. So I cover a lot of that, too. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just sort of, uh, you know, kind of picking up, you know, whatever whatever's happening at any given moment. Uh, and, and it, you know, it, it, it's, it's weird that I know probably as much about Dancing with the Stars as I do about many Oscar races. So... <laughs> I love that. I love that stat. That's a fun, fun fact. Whenever you go to like group get togethers or mixers, it's like three facts about you. Well, the fun fact is I know this much about this. That's I'm in great. the same boat because I'm a big survivor and the mass singer fan. I mean, I eat and breathe the survivor and the mass singer. So I probably know as much about those two shows as anybody, but 
movies is my thing. Of course. Um, and this is actually for my personal inter- is, this isn't probably even gonna go into the final one, but I'm just curious. Um, <laughs> the weekend getting snubbed for the Grammys a year or so ago. Did y'all did the Gold Derby didn't have that? Did you guys didn't predict that at all, right? No, no, no. We uh we were predicting the weekend to be nominated, at least nominated for oh yes, uh album of the year, record of the year, song of the year. Actually, it might have been at number one in our predictions in all three of those categories. The album snub, like, if that had happened on its own, that wouldn't have been a huge shock. But the fact that Blinding Lights didn't get anything either, um, like, not just not record and song, but nowhere in, like, the pop categories, you know, not even a music video nomination or nothing whatsoever. That was, uh, that was wild. It was, it was, it was, it was unusual and it sort of, it raised eyebrows in a way that that I think the Recording Academy really, uh, like if they had just put it in like literally one category, people would have been disappointed, but they wouldn't have been like, you know, why is it nowhere to be found? Uh, No, listen, my girlfriend and I were texting each other that day like, uh, why is there no weekend? Because we love the weekend as an artist. So I was just curious along those lines because that's something I haven't been able to stop talking about since, well, that happened over a year ago. Um, but yeah, it's so strange. It, it caused an entire rupture within the Grammys to actual change and get the secret nominating committee. So that was wild. Yes, those secret committees were problematic because they there's so little transparency. Uh, uh, and I think that's part of what was giving the Grammys kind of a legitimacy crisis uh, where it's like, OK, if you can't really vet who is doing making these final decisions uh, or even know who is making these final decisions and something strange happens like the weekend getting shut out entirely uh like you 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 don't have like it, it's hard for the grammys to defend themselves that way too uh so this year even though there were like strange and surprising nominations some surprising absences uh the fact that it wasn't like a committee a secret committee making the decisions uh sort of makes it a little bit at least a li- little bit easier to defend Yes, makes it a lot more uh, palatable, the fact that this was a democracy, if you will. Um, uh, of sorts. Of so- Yes, of, of sorts. It's more democratic than it was prior. Um, <laughs> Although I do have one writer uh, who, who pointed something out that I actually hadn't noticed uh, in the last couple of years, uh, which maybe hurt the weekend, uh, partly. Uh, a lot of the surprise nominees come from higher up in the alphabet, <laughs> which seems to suggest, um, and again, I don't know how, what a ballot looks like huh. uh, when, when you're, you're voting for it, uh, but like if, if ballots are alphabetical and people are checking off names and just kind of stopping when they hit a good the right number and if they stop at the letter F or something, you know, you get, uh, you know, ABBA getting a Grammy nomination for oh, yeah. the record of the year that no one saw coming. Uh, you get Justin Bieber and Doja Cat getting eight apiece, uh, while Megan Thee Stallion just got one nomination in the rap category. You know, it's, it's you know, I, I do wonder how much, you know, now that I've seen it multiple times, like the surprises coming from higher up in the alphabet, uh, the Emmys used to have that situation too. And then the Emmys revised things so that half the ballots go out in reverse alphabetical order. So that sort of leveled that playing field a bit. Hmm, interesting. No, that's fascinating. I had no idea that was the case. And I'm just going to keep that in because I found that utterly fascinating to know. And I feel like I, I'm smarter now because I asked that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, now Oscars, movies, all that fun stuff. Critics' Choice, Golden Globes, maybe. So what have we watched this past week? And of course, we, uh, uh, we're just kind of going to go talk a little bit about that. Nothing major, just kind of like what you've seen. Uh, so Dan... Uh, Dan Skip Allen, not Daniel, and that's the distinction when I talk to you, everyone who knows who's listening to this, uh, Dan and Daniel, so I'll make sure to I'll make sure to enunciate to make sure. So Dan, what have you watched this past week? Well, I watched a lot. Um, first and foremost, I watched yesterday, The Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman uh, and uh, Dakota Johnson. Um, this professor she's out on vacation in on an island in italy and she runs across this mother of this baby but she doesn't seem like that good of a mother and um then she's got like a handyman and uh 
And then it flashes back to her being a mother when she was younger. And uh, Jesse Buckley plays her as a younger woman. And it's this, this it's directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, I just, I'll, I'll be honest, man. I just think Maggie needs a little bit more seasoning as a director because too many like close-ups, I mean, just close-ups and it, it, a couple close-ups of Olivia Coleman three quarters naked is okay. But like all the time of Olivia Coleman naked, half the time of, of, of um, Dakota Johnson's backside. And ah, you know, I think I've seen enough of it. I, I just wasn't that enthralled with the lost daughter. I don't, everybody seems to like it. I just wasn't that big of a fan of it. Um, uh, National champions now. Before you say anything, before you say the nail, I will one quickly add as well is that that is no, you're completely fair in that because that is something I've heard from critics as well too by saying that they really liked your direction. The shot, shot, yeah, the shot variation was not as dynamic as it could have been. It was a lot of the same type of um, uh, medium shot, maybe a medium tight shot. Uh, I've heard that too, so don't think you're an outlier for that. Uh, Outside of the praise, mostly that the performance and the first time direction from. Maggie Gyllenhaal is also getting so. Please, I just wanted to make sure that you're not alone in saying that. Coleman's definitely been in better. Coleman, yes, she's definitely been better. Um, oh my! Na- now, national champions, on the other hand, wow! I'm a huge sports fan, as you could tell um, if you haven't noticed. Um, wow, what a great football! J.K. Simmons plays the football coach, and his star player decides he's not going to play, and he's going to go on TV and say the treatment of athletes in college sports is wrong. And this is a, B, C, and D what needs to happen for us to play in this national championship game. And it's basically about the NCAA and the treatment of college athletes and how the colleges are making millions and millions and millions of dollars at on the backs of these athletes. Uh, It is a fictional story, completely really great cast. Udo, uh, Uzo Aduba, keep an eye on her for Best Supporting Actress. She could just come in there and sneak in there. She is that good. Uzo Aduba. Uh, she plays like a, I don't know what you would call what she plays, but she's really cool in the movie. Um, Stefan James from um, If Beale Street Could Talk is the main star of it. Uh, but what a great, I mean, I can't say enough about um National champions. Also, I got to see the King's Man, not the King's Morton, the King's Man. After two years, it was supposed to come out two years ago, uh, and I'll tell you, it starts out a little slow, but once it gets started, it really picks up nicely. Reese Ephens is unrecognizable. I'm not going to tell you what character he plays. He's completely unrecognizable. You know what Reese Ephens looks like, uh, but Ralph Fiennes fantastic i loved ralph fines in this what a great vehicle for him to sh- shine of you know because he really is a great actor probably one of the best actors alive that does not have an academy award to his credits which is no agreed if you ask me but uh yeah the king's man starts out slow but once it gets going boy it really picks up steam and it really has some amazing action sequences there is a fight Similar to the one in the church in the Kingsman, there is a fight in a ballroom with three or four characters set to, I think it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's what the music is. I could be wrong. Correct us if I'm wrong. I'll I'll own it. I think it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And it's freaking what a great, crazy scene that was. But um, yeah, the Kingsman, obviously I've seen... um, Memoria with Tilda Swinton. Mm, wow, is that weird? What a weird movie. Slow, plotting. I don't know what people are thinking about with that. Um, Petite Maman about these two little girls that become friends and they go off in this little kind of adventure together. It's a French film. Uh, what a cute, cute little film that is. But um, Petite Maman. Like I said, I'm watching. I'm currently watching the uh, the Witches of the Orient about a. Japanese uh, volleyball team. It's a documentary. Um, also, I saw uh, Back to the Outback. It's not going to blow you away, but it's fun. It's kind of it, it has a, a soft heart to it and a sweet 
um, heart to it. Um, it's a Netflix animated film. So that's basically what I saw this week. Now this coming week, wow, what a week I have coming up. Gee, I wonder what that could be. Uh, uh, we'll see. Um, and then, uh, Daniel, because I know, I know you work for Gold Derby, so I'm not sure how much you can't review what you saw, but just kind of tell us, what have you watched, both old, new releases? Tell us. Give us a general example. Um, well, I mean, Dan is putting me to shame a little bit. I've had a much <gasps> less active uh, uh, viewing week. Uh, I, I did see King Richard in the past week. Um <clears throat> which uh, Will Smith is, uh, at least has been in our odds, the front runner to win the Best Actor Oscar. Uh, it, it feels like sort of a, 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 it's his moment kind of thing. Like, you know, the, the, the right movie was gonna come along and it was just the, the Academy was gonna decide, okay, this is your year. Like, you just get it. Um, in terms of the performance, he is, he is quite good in it. Um, although I do think, uh, uh, Andrew Garfield and Tick Tick Boom really stuck out to me more uh, as you know in this category. Uh, but I feel like he's the kind of actor who like, voters will think he'll tie his time may come, uh, you know, sometime. But it might not be this year. Going up against uh, Will Smith's kind of iconic persona and, and putting that into a film like this, Anjani Ellis is also very good. Uh, Sanai Sidney, I believe, is the name of the actress who plays. Uh, uh, Venus Williams, I think she's fantastic. I kind of, she's so good. I kind of, part of me wished the movie had been Queen Venus, uh, you know, because her part of the story is such a compelling aspect of it. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, that was uh, my my viewing uh, this past week, uh, not counting uh, this past week's Project Runway, which I also covered. <laughs> Boom! Hey, there you go. Hey, we all have that something where we're like, okay, I need to watch this, but I want to watch this. So I totally feel you along those lines. Um, for me, yeah, Dan is putting us both to shame, Daniel, because I've I really got a chance to watch and hone in on two films, which was The Power of the Dog, um, which like, to I died that that film is while it it it's one that I need to mull over. I utterly was transfixed by every single frame that Jane Campion put onto that screen. That cinematography is probably my favorite of the year, next to passing, which I think there's some symbolic nature. There's symbolic nature to both of those um, films when it comes to the cinematography. They work in tandem with the set. They work in tandem with the script, even with uh, the actors kind of move in this very, uh, this, this really tense uh, atmosphere that has been created. And it's, it's, it's not a thriller per se, but Jane Campion manages in both the script and her direction to kind of tell this story of that feels claustrophobic in a way, but also very intimate uh, with the character who, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Um, uh, guys, help me out. What's the name of Benedict Phil, Cumberbatch? Phil Burbank. Phil Burbank. Yes. Burbank. Yeah. Phil Burbank. Also, what a great name. Uh, Phil Burbank. There's something about it. Benedict Cumberbatch is also best American accent he's ever done. Uh, I must say. And one of, if if not his greatest performance that I have ever seen him do, um, bar none, because what he does with Phil Burbank and the character amidst, uh, uh, against some of the other great actors in there, from Cody Smith-McPhee, uh, Kristen Dunst, uh, Jesse Plemons, who are all great and really good, but he just kind of captures this... Um, this really great, uh, this really great um, uh, bravado, this, 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 this toxic masculinity as as well, as the film kind of examines and looks into, while also uh, diving into uh, his sexuality and sexuality in general. Um, and I really enjoy what you know she managed to put on the screen, and I'm really excited to watch it again and kind of get more and dive deeper into it because there's still so much more. I feel like I missed even while I watched it, and I just can't wait to dive further and deeper into this film when i get a chance because there's so much to so much to watch and catch up on it's hard to watch a film twice this around this time of year yeah yeah but i i, I will say i agree on uh power of the dog that was a film uh that i actually am eager to to rewatch uh just because the first time i saw it the way it unfolds you know by the time the the credits roll it feels like you are just then coming to understand what the whole story was uh just you know, and, and it all felt like in that moment like it all clicked in such a well-developed way that i really want to go back and see how those pieces were kind of laid into place 
over the course of the film because it's really like the the writing of it is is so uh, it, it's so well done in terms of that story arc it is and i'll just also add but that is the perfect like touchstone of like you realize ah by the very end literally like the last frame i feel like you're like aha that's it but it's not like uh, uh it's not like an aha moment of like i finally understand it it's more like oh this is what we were building to and i was never lost the entire time it just kind of adds and you want to watch it again to get more of those pieces because you get it and understand what they were go what she was going for but it just kind of enriches it further by knowing how it ends once you have that ending in mind um but uh yeah we'll do we'll do a power word we're going to be doing a power of the dog review uh today right after this so we'll get more into depth a little later um but i also saw um west side story which I won't get into too much because I have a very controversial opinion regarding that. And that is, I don't care for West Side Story. Yes, I am a heartless Ebenezer Scrooge. I do not care for the story of West Side Story. I find the plot of Romeo and Juliet in and of itself just to kind of be shallow and very much like, I know they're doomed lovers, uh, passionate lovers, but it just, I can't connect when the two main characters, when you're waiting for the two main characters to exit the scene so you can get to the other stuff, that's not a good sign that you really enjoyed to, to the movie. And I, I can't say that I enjoyed West Side Story, but that's mostly because I don't have an affinity for the original story in and of itself. But Steven Spielberg really gave a really fresh spin while also being uh, reverent to the original. And I think it's really good. It's a fun time in the theater. Uh, some really great choreography, not as good as the original, uh, but... Uh, I think it's really well done, and uh, uh, Ariana DeBose is 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 magnetic on screen. Like I could not keep my eyes off of her because every time she was on there, it wasn't like she was. It, it some people just had this really natural charisma, and she has that in spades. Um, some people in that and some people in that uh, movie are a black hole of charisma. Ansel Elgort, cough cough. Um, <laughs> Uh, there, but she is my MVP. Close to Mike, is it's Mike Feist? Fe Faust? Feist? Feist? Okay. I heard it was Feist. Tell me. Take, We're gonna. Take I'm gonna find out. We're by the before this podcast ends. I will find out how to pronounce his last name. For people who listen to this podcast regularly, they know I am not the best with names at all, except for Anjanu Ellis, which I corrected Abe one time. That's my one thing under my belt. I have. Um, but yeah, no, he was also fantastic. He gave really great depth to the character of Riff that I didn't expect was, I don't remember being in the other one prior. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, there were some great moments, but overall, I think, you know, I just, the West Side Story plot is not for me. And I feel like when you can't, when you can't dive into the two main characters, especially because it's Romeo and Juliet, it misses the mark. And I, I feel like for me personally, but I totally get it if it works for someone else. It's just not for me. And Dan, I think I'm lower than you uh which that's was saying something because i know you were kind of good but not great on it yeah i'm not great on it uh just I, I don't see what everybody else sees in it i mean people are like blown away by the cinematography i don't get the cinematography I, it just looks like new york to me where the other one didn't show backdrops and stuff like that this one has backdrops of a new york scapes and stuff okay so that's good but it's not like the most blown like incredible cinematography like power of the dog or nightmare alley or, or or the green knight it's like what are you talking about with cinematography it doesn't i don't get it you know but i sometimes i don't get what makes great cinematography because i i think i think like john wick 3 has some of the best cinematography i've ever seen guy didn't even get a snip come awards time so dan lossman Watson. He's also the cinematography on Nightmare Alley. Well, I will say, I, don't, I do not think that he was on Gold Derby's odds that year. Right, Daniel? <laughs> no, John Wick 3, no, I don't believe that was uh, a likely uh, high up in cinematography that year. <laughs> but, I mean, just watch that movie and tell me that isn't one of it, the most gorgeous movies you ever saw. It is gorgeous. It is. And Night Rally looks to be gorgeous as well, too. Um, but no, we will go into that on a contender review later. Um, today is going to be Power of the Dog when we do that later today. Um, but for now, yeah, those are my thoughts regarding it. I'll go into it deeper about why I don't care for West Side Story. Uh, not the music. Music's great. I really love I really love all the music in there. Um, but we'll go into that at a little later date. But that's what we've watched. Um, so we're going to move right along into 
AFI, a staple in American cinema. The American Film Institute have their annual awards every year to announce the top 10 best films of 2021, 2020, 20, uh, 2019, etc. as you go down every year. This year, they have their 10, which is really interesting because this is the first time since our expanded 10 that we are going to have a possible 10 for 10 for the Oscars. Maybe the likelihood of that is very low. But this is what we have for the top 10 of AFI this year. This year, in alphabetical order, we have Coda, Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, Tick, Tick, Boom, yes, The Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story, with special award going to Belfast and Summer of Soul. So looking at these so far, I want to have... Um, I'm going to ask our guest, Daniel, uh, when you see these at AFI, there is really interesting stat out there where it's usually about uh, when you have the 10 for AFI, like on average, you'll miss two from AFI when it translates over to the Oscars. And that's average. It's, it's not a one for one comparison most of the time. But for you, when you see these awards, uh, it's really 11 because you count Belfast. So tell me in your mind, when you see this, what comes to mind of like uh, what's what could leave, what could stay, and just as an overall group, how do they stand up? Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's always, <clears throat> you look at this list and you always think, uh, you know, it's like, okay, these won't line up one-to-one, -one, like 100% with the Oscars in all likelihood. Um, but I think they, or at least the last couple of years, they match up like six or seven or eight, uh, you know, depending on how many of the Oscars nominate. This time the Oscars are going to nominate a full 10. Um, and looking at this list, like I'm, I'm seeing like the ones that I'm pretty sure are safe at the Oscars. Like, uh, I think King Richard is safe at the Oscars. Dune is probably safe at the Oscars. Uh, Power of the Dog is safe. Uh, West Side Story at this point, I think, might be safe uh, at the Oscars. And then there's some wiggle room for the others. I feel like uh, Tick Tick Boom. Uh, it's exciting to see it here uh, as as more than just you know a play for Best Actor for. Uh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, I think this is certainly a vote of confidence for that film. Um, and if that doesn't translate to picture at the Oscars, I think it makes uh, Garfield look even stronger for actor. Um, Coda is really exciting to see here. It came out in the late summer. So it, you know, there was some, you know, it, it wasn't certain whether that would be able to, to last the season and, and stay in people's minds. Uh, and I think that's, that could be your kind of feel good little movie that could kind of little miss sunshine this year. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that could get in there um, at the Oscars. I, I also have like wondering about don't look up and nightmare alley on paper. Those seems like really strong Oscar contenders, but the reviews for both haven't been uh, as, oh, as yeah. glowing as, <laughs> as no. uh, either would have liked. Um, and, and so, but, you know, at the same time, uh, Vice from Adam McKay also uh, was uh, pretty divisive. So, uh, and that managed to get eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. So, Don't Look Up could potentially do that. Um, you know, Tragedy Macbeth, you know, that's another one. It seems like a strong bet, but uh, it feels like it's it's gonna it's coming out so late that I'm wondering if it'll have that momentum. But this certainly helps it. Uh, so Dan, I ask you, uh, as Daniel had mentioned, uh, 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 the tragedy of Macbeth, like was, um, something that, you know, people might've forgotten about, but it's recently come back. I thought it was kind of bleeding out at one point, say for like what I think like made like a, correct me if I'm wrong, was it NBR or was it the New York critic circle? They gave it like best adapted screenplay or something. And, oh no, Catherine Hunter as well too. That was really cool. Um, but it's kind of been bleeding out when you look at this and you, do you think what, what did this help? And kind of you know how do you see these shaping up in comparison to the oscars well we've had this discussion before and the the thing is when these movies start trickling out one two three at a time week by week by week things start dropping off and because of what daniel just mentioned people saw them and they weren't all that enthralled by them and so then they start dropping off and then other things start picking up like what's going to replace that nobody has seen the tragedy of Macbeth, so they can't take it out because they don't dislike it. But so the artistry of it, Ethan Cohen, Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, the look of the film, it looks amazing. 
of course, it's Shakespeare dialogue. So <laughs> is it going to translate to the mass audiences like it would translate to critics such as myself? That remains to be seen. And so that's why AFI probably had it in there because of, of all those um, things that I mentioned. So it may not be in the tent for the Academy Awards, but you just don't know. I mean, I, I think... I think that the AFI list is a great list, but I think a couple of them are going to drop off. I think you're going to get some foreign films in there. I think this could be a year where some the foreign films translate to best picture contenders like Drive My Car and A Hero, possibly the worst person in the world, all depends. You know, these are some of the best films of the year. Doesn't matter what country they came from. And I know that's a controversy. Oh, how, uh, how, how, how could you say that? Because I've seen the films and I've seen almost everything that's come out, except with a couple. Um, and Tragedy of Macbeth is one of the few that I haven't seen, and Red Rocket. And um, and I'm telling you, if 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 getting all these extra people into the academy, all these the diversity and all this kinds of stuff that was going on, then they're gonna want to put the best films in there, and you can't exclude a film from iran or a film from japan or a film from finland or wherever if it's one of the best i don't care if it's in another language and i know that's a hard hard thing to do but i that's just how i feel but i do i think the uh the 10 from um afi is really good i if i had to knock one or two out i'd get rid of west side story and don't look up was that a personal preference dan getting rid yeah. of both those two okay yeah. Well, fun fact is, uh, uh, Daniel, you had mentioned, too, that despite the reviews, and we were joking, well, we're not joking, like the reviews for Don't Look Up are not that great right now. If you're looking up for a critical consensus uh, from Metacritic right now, it's at a 52. Uh, Vice was at a 61. So that is definitely the lowest. And Vice was already controversial with a 67, 65%, excuse me, on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and obviously, it's going to fluctuate once it officially releases to the masses on the 24th. I think it's Christmas Eve. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, but then it also has a 55 in Rotten Tomatoes for Don't Look Up. So it, it would be, ooh, goodness. What was Bohemian Rhapsody? Um, what was its critical? It was not great. I know that. It was very mixed for that. Because when they got nominated, I think it Christmas. might have been in the 40s on Metacritic. Uh, and I can't remember. Rotten Tomatoes, I think it was actually probably a little higher. Because I think that was a movie that was like, sharply divided like i think it had probably had a lot of people who like strongly disliked it and people who mildly liked it <laughs> no you're right 60 percent on rotten tomatoes like literally right before we go to the rotten so that's that's impressive and then 49 percent, daniel you're right um that is that is a sharp divide specifically so this would be the lowest since then if that got nominated for best picture um so but another thing I wanted to mention as well, too, um, despite this don't look up in general, um, to me, this kind of um, cements the fact that other than the really awesome inc inclusion of uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, um, uh, I think this kind of pushes something like Tick, Tick, Boom and the tragedy of Macbeth up because I do think the tragedy of Macbeth was bleeding out after a little bit because it just kind of lost the cultural zeitgeist uh, after it premiered in the New York Film Festival. Uh, looking back, you're right. Uh, Dune, um, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, I feel like also to a degree now is kind of cementing itself as just kind of like being there. Um, and then also the power of the dog. Like you have a nice solid five that are probably going to make it. Uh, Nightmare Alley um, is one that I can see making it in based upon the technical merit alone. But as the more I don't. Critical consensus hasn't been really kind to it in comparison. Not that it's been bad. It's just I don't think it's been as kind to it. I don't know where Nightmare Alley is in terms of... Do you know where the Nightmare Alley is in terms of Gold Derby Oz? Oh, oh Dan, you had you had your finger up. What, what is it? Yeah, well, I want to compare two films, all right? West Side Please. Story and Nightmare Alley are both remakes of movies from 1961 and 1947, all right? So the material that are in them has to be translated into a modern context. And I, for one, just feel like Nightmare Alley's film as a whole, because of what the vision that Guillermo del Toro uh, brought to the screen, is a hundred times better 
than what Steven Spielberg brought to the screen in terms of the visuals, the acting, the below-the-line categories that he brought to Nightmare Alley, the set production, the production value, the hairstyle, the makeup, the a lot of that kind of stuff. And that's where I feel Nightmare Alley betters West Side Story. And I think when people start seeing it, and they, they realize the visual eye candy that Nightmare Alley is, that it will translate better. But that's just my opinion. Uh, I was about to say 100 times is a big number, Dan. That's a very big number. Um, but right, no, Daniel. Times. I don't know. Okay, 50 times. Okay, cool, cool. That's a little less. Uh, so, Daniel, <laughs> uh, where is Nightmare Alley right now on Gold Derby? Because that's one of the ones really fluctuated, especially since it's been released, um, when it comes to Best Picture anyway. Yeah, you see things move up and down when they when they open or when they screen for, for critics, especially. That's when you get the sharp rises or falls. Uh, it's still in the top 10 in our odds. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at them right now, and it's 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 seventh overall, which uh, which is solidly in there. Um, and, I you know, I feel like it's the kind of film that, you know, I think because it's reviews, I'm, I, you know, as far as I know, are, are significantly better than, you know, Don't Look Up, for instance. Uh you know, so I think it might still be solid enough and on the basis of crafts, uh, a little bit like Dune, um, like it, it, it could it, it could be the kind of film that gets in picture and then several uh, craft categories. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll get into an acting category. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what the you know upcoming, uh, uh, you know, awards, critics choice, uh, those sorts of things. You know, if they put it further on the radar or, you know, we'll see if it's further rising or, or, or sliding a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, it's, it's still got a good chance, but it's, it's vulnerable. No, I th- but seven sounds, it's a perfect, I feel like spot for it right now. That's a good spot. I know you didn't put it there, but still. It's a good spot. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So before we end this discussion about AFI and its correlation with Oscars, because obviously it's just American films and because Belfast has, as I mentioned beforehand, it's it's not um, uh, it's not an American production. It's not a did I? Yeah, I'm about to say it's not a did Focus. I say British beforehand? Focus. Well, but it's not a. I said British before. It's not British. It's um, Irish. Uh, uh, Irish. Thank you. It is Irish. Um, so it was partly filmed in in Ireland and England. Oh, was it? It wasn't filmed. Of mm-hmm. course, they didn't do it on location. When is it? When is something ever done in location all the time? That's that is true. Well, they did. They did do some shooting in in Belfast, uh, in addition to shooting in, in uh, England. Okay, very. There you go. That that. So it is. But they always give. I feel like the. They always give a special award to a production that. Uh, is kind of in the c- cultural conversation when it comes to the Oscars. And this year, it was Belfast. I forgot what it was the year prior or some years. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, didn't, man, I'm I'm really kind of digging into the back of my brain. Didn't the King's Speech get this same award uh, like years ago that Belfast did? Because I'm like going to the back of my brain and realizing, wow, that's like, that's the type of film that they will go toward a sense of like, oh, this is one that's, you know, has some clout behind it, but it's not precisely an American film, so we can't put it in our tin, but we want to reward it in some some way, shape, or form. Correct me if I'm wrong if it's not the King's Speech that got in. Um, uh, the King's Speech yeah. did get it in, in 2010. Okay. Wow. How did I uh, get my cobwebs off of right there? Um, uh, and I'm actually looking through some of these. Uh, you know, that, it, that special award feels very much like, you know, here is a non-American film that we couldn't put in our 10 because it's not an American film. But we do not want to get caught with a potential Oscar frontrunner uh, not being represented somewhere on our list. So they gave it to the King's Speech. They gave it to the artist. Um, uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm going to see if they gave it to Parasite. Uh, they probably did. Uh, I know they gave one to OJ Made in America, which won documentary. Ah, um, okay. That's a cool one, actually. They gave one to Roma. They gave one to Roma. Hmm. Uh, and yes, they gave they gave one to Parasite as well. Yeah. yeah so so they're like they're very much trying to uh, to to kind of cover their bases. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Covering their bases. So uh, as we wrap this as as we wrap this up, how many do we think are from this tin? Since we're at an Academy straight tin again. How many do we think are actually going to make it out of these 10? 
Are we going to go with two? Are we going to go with three? Daniel, if you had an educated guess, how many of these are going to make it? Obviously, we're not holding you to it. We still have a little ways to go, but just kind of for fun, what, how many do you think are going to make it? And what are the two or three or how many that are going to be left off? Um, I feel like most of them probably, I, I think we're going to end up with a matchup of six or seven, uh, you know, probably no higher than eight. I mean, you know, just assume Belfast takes one of these 10 spots. I think that's pretty likely. Yeah. Um, you know, the ones that I would look at as potentially being sort of on that bubble, maybe not as secure are, uh, don't look up with those, uh, you know, the, the mixed reviews, um, you know, Nightmare Alley also, like, we'll see what its trajectory is throughout the season. Uh, and Tick Tick Boom, I do think, I don't think it's like a secure contender. This this definitely raises its profile. Uh, but, I, you know, I think it needs to continue to build this momentum for it to, to make the Academy top 10. But I do think that it's, it's encouraging because, you know, people who are seeing it for Andrew Garfield's performance primarily are coming away from it, uh, as I did personally when I saw it. Uh, kind of surprised how strong it is as an entire piece of filmmaking. Uh, Dan, what about for you in particular? Well, I'll tell you, Tick, Tick, Boom is the better of the musicals on this list. That's for sure. Uh, and West Side Story. And I'm, I'm definitely getting rid of West Side Story. Um, and not that now, I hated not that do I you think West Side Story is going to, but you think West Side Story is going to leave, or do you want it to leave? Is the question. Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I want it to leave, but I, it should leave. It's not <laughs> one of the best films of the year. It's just not one of the best films of the year. It just it, isn't. it is very likely to be a Best Picture nominee either way. <laughs> it, but but it's just it's just not one of the better films of the year. I I, I would I would argue In the Heights is a better musical than West Side Story. Obviously, Tick Tick Boom is a better musical than. Uh, West Side. So I like In the Heights better. That's just, you know, but that's why we're, we're here. We're, we're talking about what, you know, um, don't look up. I think th it, there are some funny moments in that movie. There are some funny, the characters are funny. They, they, they say some, some outlandish things. I just think it's too inside baseball and people are not ready to go there right now with, with don't look up. Um, and that's why I don't think Don't Look Up will, will be in there because people, there's enough of the population like, hey, don't be throwing this in our face. Don't be giving us a bunch of crap. And Adam McKay's last two films before this did that, and he's doing it again with this one. And, you know, I just saw the trailer for his new, uh, I don't know if it's a miniseries or film about the Los Angeles Lakers, which looks amazing, comes out in March. Um, I, other than that, I mean, Daniel's probably right, probably Nightmare Alley or Tick, Tick, but like I said, the the dialogue of Tragedy of Macbeth, it's Shakespeare dialogue. That usually doesn't translate a lot to people. People aren't going to want to watch a movie that has a bunch of Shakespeare dialogue in it. You know, even though it looks gorgeous and it's probably acted incredibly in it and and all that stuff, it's just it's not real dialogue. It's Shakespeare dialogue, and a lot of people don't like that. So maybe that might drop off who knows you don't know and like we said it doesn't come out for quite a while still christmas so it once upon a time it was real dialogue dan once upon a time just not now about 200 um, years ago 300 something years like ago. that I, I i'm actually not sure off the top of my head uh i think closer to 500 <laughs> that yeah no that would be yeah 200 is like what we just we just founded america then didn't all right then 500 that. years ago <laughs> well shakespeare was not during the time of george washington i can tell you that right. um but no i think what an interesting point is don't look up is going to be a testament if it gets nominated for best picture it's going to be a testament to see how much the academy loves adam mckay because they ate vice in the big short up they were like mm, breakfast they literally wanted to get those like again sam rockwell got in for best supporting actor for vice that's a that that's a 10 minute performance people um, w. it was a it was an snl sketch and i'm going to test that to the day that i die as an snl sketch of a, of a character um I, I kind of agree i you know i i liked vice better than a lot of people did uh but i think sam rockwell and sam rockwell is a fantastic actor but that was that was that was uh 
you know, that was an SNL skit of a performance, um, which is not a, a criticism of his performance per se, so much as the way that character is written and incorporated into the film. And I, I just, like, that that nomination was purely coasting off of enthusiasm off of his three billboards the previous year. Ooh, that's a that's a good observation. I forgot about that was the previous year. No, the goodwill he had toward that and the fact that they really loved Vice, that's a really good point. Um, Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, this is going to be a testament if don't look up. I think at the end of the day, because of the negative reviews, I think it's going to start to lose steam as more people start to see it. And I think it, it might be one of the ones that misses. I could be wrong because, again, they love Adam McKay so far. Um, and then, of course, I think I don't want to say that Tick, Tick, Boom is going to be the one that misses. Um, I could be wrong and I hope that I'm wrong, but I want to replace Tick, Tick, Boom with Belfast. And then maybe you replace Don't Look Up with... Um, um oh heavens like a geez what else is there i'm like thinking now yeah that's the difficulty is it's hard to think like if if not that then what uh yeah there's there's a lot of films that seem like they're all that are on the bubble but also it's hard to make the the, a stronger case for them like being the ricardos also has an issue with mixed reviews yeah spencer could be divisive uh though that could you know you know, uh, the enthusiasm for Kristen Stewart could carry that to a nomination. The Lost Daughter, like, swept the Gotham Awards, which aren't always indicative yeah. of the Oscars, but mm-hmm. seven of the last eight, or, or six of the last seven, one of, most of the last uh, several winners at the Gotham Awards have at least been Best Picture nominees. So uh, I think uh, that's uh, a strong possibility, uh, especially mm-hmm. with so many films getting kind of mixed reviews among the other yeah. larger contenders. Like, because I was confident on being the Ricardos getting it in after the initial reception, and then the reviews came in. And it's like, okay, oh, let's back the brakes back I after these reviews. It. I love being the Ricardos. Well, I need, I need to see it still, Dan. Let's not. Oh, hold on. Um, but you make a, one quick point. I'll say is drive my car. There is always seems to be one, at least the past two years. Uh, maybe three, even three, I can't remember, always a foreign language film that gets into a director. And now that we have a straight tin, perhaps the that fun magic will work its way into Best Picture as well, too. So a Drive My Car gets it in, or a, or maybe a hero, or a flea, or <laughs> maybe we get a Titan making it in for Best Director and Best Picture. I don't think so. but Remember when we were talking about how flea could be in four categories, Manny? Now it could. If it gets into one or two It'll be lucky the way things are going. I think it's going to get into at least one. It's that that's that's definitely going to happen with the way the critics are going. But no, yeah, that is AFI. Uh, and we also had this past week. We also had, um, and I completely uh, just uh, got rid of my tab that I had open where it actually had this. So excuse me. <laughs> we had the PGA nominations for documentary this past year, and some of these expected, some of these out of nowhere, and some of these I'm very happy that made it on. For this year, we had Ascension, Riding with Fire, Flea, The First Wave, in the same breath, two COVID documentaries, Summer of Soul, Simple as Water, and The Rescue. I just want to say I'm really happy in the same breath because I saw that at Sundance this past year, and that was a film that stuck with me even to this even to this day. And I really, really enjoy what that did, and I'm just glad I got something. I don't think it's going to make it into the five at the very end of the day, but I'm just glad that it got some recognition. Uh, so, Daniel, looking at these for a documentary, uh, any big snubs that you look back and you're like, why did that miss? Or is this kind of some of the ones you might expect? Um, I haven't been as closely monitoring the documentary race this year yet, uh, but it's uh, it's interesting to see, you know, these don't the different guild awards really don't off, always line up with each other, or you know sometimes with the Oscars, but uh, sometimes they can be telling. Like I know, like last year, uh, as uh, you know, my octopus teacher uh, was like. You know, it wasn't like it was not one of the strongest possibilities going into the Oscar nominations. I'm not even sure we predicted in our top five nominees uh, to be nominated. Uh, and then it started winning a couple things. And it's like, oh, no, this is now winning everything. It's the front runner. Uh, and so we could see that happen. I feel like mm-hmm. Summer of Soul has been um, really consistent uh, showing up uh, in nominations. Uh, so that looks probably like the the safest bet for a nomination this year but uh it's always going to come down to like basically the last week what is winning stuff from these guilds uh and what did the oscars nominate uh because the oscars could 
snub Summer of Soul because the Oscars would do that kind of thing. So <laughs> uh, it's 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 yeah. too early to tell for that one. Oh, no, it is, which I will then bring it over to Dan and say, Dan, uh, is Summer of Soul, because it is, quote unquote, the front runner, uh, it's it's missing, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, not, the front runner. it's, it's not the front runner. The front runner is The Rescue. And, you think so? Uh, oh, yeah. That's the front runner. That, if the, okay, I think The Rescue is going to win. It's going to get nominated, and it's going to win the Academy Award for Best Documentary. But I think Fleas in there, Summer of Souls in there, Julia. I know we had Julia and Julia a few years back, but Julia documentary is amazing. Citizen Ash about um, Arthur Ash. Being Cousteau is another good one. Uh, Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Those are some of the bigger docs of the year. So some of these docs that are on this list I haven't heard of, but then again, there's so many and it's hard to pick what the Academy is going to gravitate towards, you know? So, but they did have some of the big ones in there. They had flee the rescue summer of soul in their mix. So that's a good sign for those three, you know, um, summer of soul. What a great, what a great documentary. I mean, just, if you love music, you're going to love uh, summer of soul. Because it just has a great, great soundtrack of all these amazing like Motown hits and, or that type of music in the 70s and whatever. Uh, and it played at the same exact time as uh, the big festival in New York, upstate New York. Um, come on, what's the name of it? Woodstock? Woodstock. I mean, the exact uh, weekend, Manning, that Woodstock was going on, yes. Summer of Soul was going on in Brooklyn. And it was all black singers singing all these these catchy Motown type hits or big seventies kind of songs. Um, so, and nobody knew about it until this documentary came out. It's kind of neat. It's these are the kind of things you love in a documentary to learn things about something that you didn't you didn't you didn't previously know. Same thing with the rescue. What an incredible incredible that was a news story, but the harrowing. The herring rescue that was involved and how how difficult that was. I mean, I was glued to the screen when I was watching the rescue. I mean, glued to the screen. It is good. It's very good. Uh, you bring up an excellent point. A lot of these, in comparison to some of the ones that we've heard about, are not as well talked about when it comes to just the We've heard of the rescue and Summer of Soul. Those are big ones that have made that have that have come up a lot. I merely say Summer of Soul is the front runner because it's gotten, I think, the most besides Flea. And when it comes to critical um, uh, awards uh, for documentary pushing it, but Searchlight's doing oh, a great yeah. job of pushing it. So that, along with Tammy Faye and Nightmare Alley, are their three horses, and so they're pushing it in that category because they don't have a lot of. Uh, things in a lot of categories so they're really pushing summer of soul searchlight is so what i want to know i'm not positive do you guys know if they've opened up all the nominations to the entire uh, uh, academy because i know once upon a time i can't remember if they did that change just recently where the nominations were just a particular branch uh is that still the case i can't recall if that's because that might give us a different set of nominees in comparison it might explain why we have very particular nominees from documentary uh if i'm not mistaken yeah and that, daniel i mean Dan, you would know better than me but yeah each branch votes for itself and then all the branches vote for best picture am i correct okay um that's the case for most of them i think um i think documentary has expanded uh voting okay. to a certain degree i'm not sure to what degree specifically i think there, there might have used to have been uh uh like this those specific like smaller panels uh that would watch the documentaries and you know you know snub things like hoop dreams and you get reforms and i think they i think they've opened it up from there uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think it's an academy wide vote, but I think okay, probably anyone in the branch can can vote for it. Okay, because that's what we've done. So we've had so much change in even the past three, two, two years. Even it's just trying to keep track of all the changes that have transpired. But that makes sense. That's why I wanted to ask because I feel like I've heard that somewhere, but I can't put my finger on it. Um, that might bode well for something like maybe with this expanded 
in this expanded lineup, we do get a uh, we, Apollo 11 or we get a Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, we get something along those lines that may have missed because of this expansion. We'll never know, though, because that didn't happen. To part one of our Oscars discussion with Daniel Montgomery of Gold Derby. Tomorrow, we continue with part two, where we discuss the supporting categories and what to expect for these semi-unpredictable races. Thanks for listening, and cue the music. Music